driving it home. With Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hey, hey. I am so excited to kick things off this hour with our good friend Dan Schaefer, the writer and publisher of the Recombobulation Area. And let's just get right to it, Dan. Uh, apparently, uh, the Republicans in Wisconsin just want to go ahead and do away with, uh, you know, this little thing we call democracy and uh, just claim uh, ownership of elections. Is that my understanding of what's going on? You're pretty much, Patty. And, uh, <laughs> and good to talk to you as always. Uh, yeah, we've got another wild story here in Wisconsin for, uh, for everybody to, to dig into, but, you know, thankfully it looks like the governor has already said that there's the, our democratic governor here in Wisconsin, Tony Evers has said, it doesn't look like this is going to happen. But what, what's, what is happening uh, in the proposal though, is that, uh, Wisconsin Republicans are proposing to abolish the Wisconsin elections commission. Yeah. Uh, and replace it by, and, and shift it over to duties taken over by the Secretary of State. It's a very strange move. Uh, had there been any uh, sort of you know chatter about this? Had you heard that this was uh, something they had in the works? Or they're like just trying? They're scrambling to find some way to regain control over people's lives in Wisconsin. That's the only way I can think of it. Yeah, so basically, it, this is it kind of it falls in line with much of what Republicans in Wisconsin have been doing since 2020, and they're you know just the election denial conspiracy theory nonsense that has, in so many ways, fueled uh, their policies towards election administration in the state. You know, basically, what what the Wisconsin Elections Commission is is a bipartisan board uh, made of three Republican appointees and three Democratic appointees that sets policy for for the how elections are run across the state. And, of course, given all of the 2020 conspiracy theories uh, that they even now, three years later, the Republicans in the state can't let go of, um, they, they seem to think, you know, that Donald Trump, the only reason that Donald Trump lost the election was, was something having to do with some conspiracy that they've cooked up involving the Wisconsin Elections Commission. So they've tried to get rid of the nonpartisan election administrator, Megan Wolf, over and over and over again, even as Republican appointed members of the Wisconsin Election Commission continue to say that they want her to be in that role and that she is doing a good job. Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, another move uh, from Wisconsin Republicans to try to placate those conspiracy theorists in the state. And thankfully, uh, Governor Evers, as he has on so many different occasions, as Republicans have brought up these election denier type bills uh, in the legislature, he said that, yeah, this isn't going anywhere. I will veto this. Uh, it's, uh, it, it has no chance of becoming law in the state of Wisconsin. So at least we have that. Uh, at least we do have, you know, divided government here and, and whatever the Republicans in the legislature cook up doesn't quite sail through uh, the way it once did when Scott Walker was the governor here. Wow. I mean, so Republicans do not have the ability, the enough numbers to over overturn a veto. Or no, they have, they have those numbers in the state Senate right now, but they do not in the state assembly, thanks to uh, some some <laughs> assembly Democrats who protected some key key areas. So. That is uh, that's a big, important thing to consider there. But it's also just, you know, this, they keep moving the goalposts over and over again on this. So back in 
uh, the, the, you know, early Walker years, there was a, a organization called the Government Accountability Board, which is a nonprofit or a, non, a nonpartisan uh, a nonpartisan board that oversaw elections in the state and, and kind of investigated um, a lot of things involving, you know, kind of corruption, campaign finance misconduct. Well, they, they investigated Scott Walker back in the day. Uh, and Republicans didn't really like that. So they got rid of uh, the Government Accountability Board, replaced yeah. it with the Wisconsin Elections Commission in 2015. So this is a Republican creation. Uh, but since, <laughs> you know, ever since Donald Trump lost in 2020, uh, they've Nothing's said, nope, this is, yeah. this is no good anymore. We've got to move on to the next thing. So, you know, what, th- what they're proposing to do is to bring it under the, uh, under the control of the Secretary of State's office, which is what, how elections are run in, in many states across the country. Uh, that it is a secretary of state. But the problem with that is in Wisconsin, this has just not been the way things have been run. And, and the secretary of state's office in Wisconsin is a partisan office. Right now it is held by a Democrat, Sarah Gotlewski. Uh So what they would essentially be doing is be putting this in control of a Democrat, which uh, but uh, but also it's the same at the same time, it, it leaves this up to the whims of the voters from year to year. Uh, and making this, you know, a partisan office. And so do you want the election administration in the state to be more partisan than it has in the past? I mean, that seems like we're going in the wrong direction. Well, and you put a target on that seat. And, yeah, what a strange way to sort of shoot themselves in the foot is to, I mean, but again, this goes to what Republicans imagine themselves to be, which is long game players. And and in many ways they have, whether it's the media or focusing on Roe v. Wade, which, you know, their ultimate goal, they they were able to achieve that. Um, But, yeah, what a bizarre effort to just sort of grasp at anything to try to wrestle away the ability to oversee elections. It's bizarre. There's no other way to put it. Yeah, this seems, you know, and one of the things that has been happening in the state over the past few weeks is that there is a kind of a fringe election denier group uh, that is targeting Republican Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, who has, you know, he has certainly placated uh, the, uh, the the whims of these uh, election deniers over the years in Wisconsin by launching the Gableman investigation, by launching all sorts of uh, legislative committees that looked into uh, a bunch of nonsense about the 2020 election. But he doesn't. He for he doesn't want to get rid of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. Um, so there are a bunch of uh, you know kind of fringe groups that are targeting him. And every time this seems to happen, he caves almost immediately to these fringe Republican groups because you know he has to be more wary of primary uh, primary challenges than than general election challenges because he's in such a heavily Republican district. Wow. Well, and here's the other thing. You know, I know, you know, again, we're looking at Wisconsin and more and more uh, journalists are starting to write pieces about how crucial and not just journalists, but of course, strategists are looking at Wisconsin uh, for, you know, with, which way the winds blow, because you are, you guys are crucial for our federal elections. What what are you seeing as far as some of the congressional races in Wisconsin? Yeah, some interesting stuff uh, happening there. I mean, you know. Uh, the, the main one that I think people will be focused on is the third congressional district. That is the one uh, currently held by a Republican, Derek Van Orden, uh, who is in his first term uh, in the in Congress, and he's the guy who you may remember as as uh, the guy who got him got himself in a little bit of trouble by yelling at some high school Senate pages when he was yeah. uh, may or may not have been having a, having a few. 
having a few cocktails in his office uh, in the Capitol. Um, so I think, you know, the, the race to challenge him, I think, is going to be, you know, probably the most competitive one that we have uh, in the state of Wisconsin next year. Uh, you know, a couple of, couple of really strong challengers in, in Rebecca Cook and in uh, Katrina Shankland, uh, who are both, you know, have Cook ran in the primary a couple of years ago, and she had a really strong showing. Shankland uh, has been a longtime state assembly representative um, and is is working with uh, some of the folks who ran Jana Protasiewicz's campaign uh, in the spring. So that is uh, certainly one to watch in Wisconsin this fall. The other one, I think, would be, you know, right on the border of, uh, of Illinois and Wisconsin here, uh, where Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin's first district held by uh, Republican Brian Stile. Uh, you know, that one, I think, is is an interesting one to watch. I think it was, it's probably, you know, uh, given incumbency, given, uh, you know, probably a slight Republican lean to that district would, would mean that style would still be a pretty heavy favorite. But I think that is one to watch in the long term for Wisconsin, that, that uh, second or that first congressional district right on the border. Well, we, we will definitely not only be watching, but doing whatever we can with the eventual candidate to help them uh, in any any possible way. You know, we'll be phone banking and knocking on doors. It's just a short hop, skip and a jump. And, you know, always nice to stop at the Mars Cheese Castle at the Brat Stop. So we'll be there. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what we should broadcast from is the Brat Stop. I know everyone goes to the Mars Cheese Castle. I'm a fan of the Brat Stop. Um, but before we go, um, tell us quickly, I, 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 know, I know we're short on time, but I, I want to know about Milwaukee's budget because, uh, you know, I tease you. We tease each other about our sports. Uh, we're not having a great uh, couple of months in Chicago when it comes to our budget and spending. And you guys have some good news, which is exciting. Yeah, it's, you know, for so long in Milwaukee, we have been talking about budget cuts and fiscal cliffs. And all of these dire predictions on, on what might happen to the future of the city. It's going to slide right into Lake Michigan uh, if we don't uh, fix the budget this year. But for the first time in a very, very long time, uh, Milwaukee has no significant cuts in its city or county budget coming. Wow. Uh, and and also with that, at, at the county level, we're actually going to see a property tax cut for the first time in, in uh, more than 30 years. So, you know, there was a big, uh, I think we talked a number of times earlier this year about the shared revenue bill, uh, the changing, change the way that, you know, kind of the state funds local government in the state. And with that, with a lot of those changes that were just so long overdue and and that Milwaukee uh, leaders have been hoping for for years and years and years and years. And Republicans finally relented uh, in the most recent cycle to, to get something done there. Um, and that is going to make a world of difference uh, for the city of Milwaukee. So I talked to uh, a guy named Rob Henkin, who's a nonpartisan budget analyst uh, who does a lot of, you know, just just a lot of great work that nerds like me appreciate on uh, breaking down a lot of these budgets. Um, but when I talked to him, you know, he said, uh, he said, you know, I'm not really one for hyperbole, but mind-blowing is the word that comes to mind what? here when talking about the budget turnaround. Uh, for the city of Milwaukee. So I think we have people in the city have every reason uh, to be optimistic about uh, about things going forward. And I know our, our our mayor, Cavalier Johnson, and county executive, David Crowley, uh, have done a ton of work uh, to make that happen. And so we haven't, our budget process this year was, was really not a very contentious one. They're, they're, those two proposed budgets pretty much sailed through the uh, city council and, and county board. And uh, it's it's a very exciting time for the city and county of Milwaukee. 
See, I would rather have your budget than coach counsel. That's all I'm saying. Anyway. <laughs> if I had to pick, that well, would be my you know, I might have to make a trade there. You get you'd have to throw in, you know, uh, you know, a couple of a uh, couple of players in the Bulls to help us out or something like that. You know, <laughs> that's fair. Okay, well, we got a couple of Bears players you can have, <laughs> like the whole team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> we'll be okay with. Oh my God! Well, <laughs> what we've got in Green Bay right now. Fine, fine. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us, Dan. Of course, Dan Schaefer, the uh, publisher of the Recombobulation Area. Follow him on Twitter to stay up on all things Wisconsin, so we know where we need to direct our, our attention and efforts. And uh, subscribe to his uh, great work. We're grateful for you. Thank you so much, Dan. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks so much. You as well. Take care. Thank you. Let's take a break here. If you want to join us, 773-763-9278. Coming up after 530, we're going to check in with Alderman Gilbert Viegas to talk about things in the city that, uh, look, we're, I think we're all feeling a little bit of outrage, especially if you live in the city. Uh, and if you're watching the news, uh, some crazy stuff is happening. And uh, whether it's uh, housing our, our new neighbors or, uh, <laughs> uh, you know what, everyone can identify with when a new sidewalk goes in and then a few weeks later. Later, ah, a different utility has to come in and tear it up. Well, that happened with a bike lane. We'll find out about that later after 530 on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. More in a moment. Alexa, play WCPT. WCPT from TuneIn. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at A&S Wine and Spirits, Back of the Yards, and Grand Western Liquors, Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Thanks for hanging out with us as we drive it home until 7. Uh, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to talk to Alderman Gilbert Viegas. And coming up at 630, th- at 6.30, it is Cancer Screen Week. And we're going to talk, we have a, a really, uh, I think, unique conversation with a comic book writer who's a cancer survivor as well as a, a doctor of on- oncology. So that's coming up at 630. Uh, I really want to focus on our, our health, our physical and emotional health as we head into 2024. It's an important year. We need everybody ready for what's coming next. So let's get to our phone calls. Uh, we've got Jim on the line. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind, my friend? Hi, Jerry. Uh, Trump's on his Pinocchio tour in Iowa. Over the weekend, <laughs> over the weekend, he said that I want my people to look at the people voting in Detroit, Philadelphia, Atlanta. I want you to watch those people carefully. Shadow them. Shadow them. Make sure that they're <laughs> They're not cheating. I mean, this is, this is all insane. And then the governor of Iowa is backing uh, DeSantis. So he said, well, she wouldn't have won. She never would have won. She was losing so badly. Her tires were flat. She was broke. That came along. And now she's got a new car. She's the governor of Iowa. But without my help, she'd be, she'd be indigent. Yep. Anyway, anyway, and... Uh, but the same thing with DeSantis. He claims that he, that he without backing DeSantis, DeSantis would have lost uh, miserably. Right. But and and but the 
his cognitive cognitive uh, ability is slipping very, very fast. I mean, he is. Well, put it this way, Patty. If I was seventy-seven years old and I had ninety indictments, 90, 90 felony indictments, and uh, I run it for president, I think there might be a little tension in the Ukrainian. What do you think, Patty? Yeah, I, I uh, <laughs> try to find, try to look for the the exit sign rather than like amplify like making yourself a higher profile. But look, we know that he is primarily it would seem running for office so that he can avoid prison time. I mean, the, the jig oh, is yeah, up absolutely. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, that's his only chance. It's his only chance to uh, vindicate himself uh, and get out from under. You know, he's got he's surrounded by. Uh, you know, uh, they're all felony guys. Uh, Flynn, uh, the other guy that runs that Breitbart, uh, he's another. They're all been pardoned. Uh, Nanesta Souza, they've all been, you know, you know, yeah. created crimes. And it, but that's just one. Their, that's just one of his campaign, if you believe it. But yeah. they, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. And they think, you know, we've got a year to go. Anyway, Patty, thanks. Have a great show. Thank you, Thank you so much. Yeah, to, to uh, Jim's point, one of the things I think we've talked about over and over again is this selective outrage when it comes to election results. Because remember, in 2016, Trump was saying that there was massive voter fraud and saying that if he didn't win, it was because it was stolen. But then he won. So, no, it wasn't stolen. And, of course, you know, again, when he did lose, quantifiably lost, had his butt handed to him, he was, you know, he was saying it was voter fraud. But nobody else on the ballots, all those Republicans who voted against certifying the election, all won or many of them won. But only the pre- I've said this before. Why would if, if we were that conniving and that uh, specific in, in what we wanted to achieve by stealing an election? Why would we only steal the presidential? How, how is that? I mean, wouldn't we also be doing school board elections? And wouldn't we start there? Nobody nobody seems to be saying that they lost because Democrats stole the election. And they always point to our outrage over whether it was uh, Al Gore and the Supreme Court stopping the count, which, look, I, I, I do mourn the loss uh, and celebrate the life of uh, Sandra Day O'Connor. Yet she whipped those votes on the Supreme Court to vote to stop the count. She hated Al Gore. This has been written about. Uh, there have been people who've talked about it. And, you know, this was a part of the plan for Republicans was to have people in strategic places. In order, But look, we, we, we accepted it. We Just because we yell about it. And I know that Stephanie Miller talks about dying angry because Hillary Clinton lost. I will die angry about the 2000 election. And it, honestly, I, I, there were so many problems. It shouldn't have even been, I mean, as far as uh, on every level, as far as the stopping the count, that's problematic. But I also have uh, a lot of issues with how Al Gore ran his race. And that's possibly a longer conversation that's not entirely necessary right now because we are focusing on what President, former President Trump is trying to, you know, uh, just the amount of violence. We talked last week to uh, to Staff Sergeant uh, Aquilino Gonell, who's written the book American Shield, uh, an immigrant who fought to protect democracy. Uh, you can purchase that book. It was a great conversation. If you if you didn't get a chance to hear it, you can find all of our shows, by the way, on SoundCloud. And uh, and and the fact that 
you know, folks who claim to be patriotic and support the blue and, you know, absolutely stand at attention for our military, except when their cult leader tells them that, you know, they're in the way of assuming power. It's it's absolutely insane. And and they are going to, if you haven't heard the news earlier today, uh, prosecutor uh, Jack Smith introduced um, a filing. They want to focus on Trump's history of calling election results fraud only when they did not suit his needs, right? He won in 2016, even though for months he'd been yelling about voter fraud and it's all, they're going to steal the election, but he won. So everything was on the up and up. Of course. I mean, mm -hmm. and then uh, in 2020, (laughs) he he said leading up to the election, if he loses, it was a fraud. And afterwards, it's stolen, it's stolen. And he whipped people into a violent frenzy and set them loose on our capital. It is uh, really uh, uh, incomprehensible, and yet here we are. I, I, I guess I shouldn't have to th- uh, comprehend it because it simply is. I, I'll never, I'll never get to uh, the place where I can get, understand the motivation bet- behind Trump voters, except it seems to be the sheer hatred of liberalism, of progressivism, of being open to ideas, of tolerance, of empathy, because. To a lot of folks on the right on the right side of the aisle, those are weaknesses. Those are to be despised. If you are working on programs that are intended to educate, to treat people with mental health issues, to provide health care, well, you are just the scourge of the earth. Really, that that's what it seems to come down to. If we're simply fighting for uh, representation and equality, uh, working to make our our planet a place that we feel we've done everything possible for the next generation, whether it's our economy, our uh, environment. We are the ones that are wrong. It, it, and the things uh, I, I could go on and on. I'm, I'm getting angry. I'm trying to relax uh, because we have a lot of work. We have to pace ourselves. Uh, there's certainly so many things that we can all be doing to make things life better in in our world, for our neighbors, uh, for our our city, our state, and and our country. So let's uh, take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk to Alderman Gilbert Viegas, and let's find out what's going on at the city level because uh, there's a lot of news today, and I can't get to all of it alone. More after this on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200, that's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. In your communities in Chicago. On WCPT 820. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, folks, as we drive it home until 7. You know, we, we cover a lot of national politics, state politics, and I've lived in the city my entire life. And I'm, I'm visiting with friends in Los Angeles, and... They're a little bit sad because I'm outraged today. And they're like, no, you're our, our last whole hope for <laughs> Chicago optimism. Uh, and I do. I'm optimistic for our city. And I know that our guest, uh, Alderman Gilbert Viegas, is also optimistic. And just we have a lot of work to do, don't we, sir? Hello. How are you doing today? Hey, Patty. How you doing? And 
And I, I wish you would have brought some of that L.A. weather back with you. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. This is a city that I was you know, born and raised in, and I'm not going anywhere. And I got two boys, and um, one's in Milwaukee at Marquette. The other one's at St. Pat's, and they're not going anywhere. So we're here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going anywhere, uh, but I, I do – Okay, let's let's start with let's start with the lead pipes because this is something that uh, we had a form, former administration. Uh, I I was on the stage with Lori Lightfoot in 2019. I was moderating at a mayoral forum. She said it was one of her priorities. She had a plan in place, and we saw nothing. And here we are, uh, five years later. What what what? Are, four years later. What are we? I, I got your press release today. I know that you and Alderman Haddon have uh, really put laid something out for us and a path forward. Tell us a little bit about what the plan is. Yeah. So you know, the frustrating part about uh, let's let's the lead service lines is that uh, we have uh, four hundred thousand lead service lines that are buried underneath uh, the city. So we're number one in the country. So I want you to think about that. Mm. 400,000 lead service lines. So even if we did 10,000 a year, which is pretty aggressive, we're talking about 40 years to get the lead service lines out of the ground. So what we're going to do is have a hearing tomorrow to figure out what is our plan to put forward so that way not just this administration or not this city council, but moving forward, we can develop a plan to finally get the lead out and talk about some of the positive things, right? So I look at it from, from the, the glass half full perspective. Here's an opportunity to create a jobs bill that will put thousands of people to work uh, that will last a couple, two or three decades uh, and, and then finally deliver clean, uh, lead-free water to, to, our, uh, to the residents of the city of Chicago. Um, so we're going to have people from the environmental side, organized labor, uh, the contracting world, um, uh, the chief financial officer to figure out a way to try to fund this. Um, also, uh, so, some of the advocacy groups, give them a, a call to action uh, to help us advocate for more funding from the state and from the federal government. I mean, I have to get my hats off to Senator uh, Tammy Duckworth, who put $15 billion in the bipartisan infrastructure bill to deal specifically with lead water service lines. But that's $15 billion across the country. Our price tag is going to probably be anywhere between fifteen to twenty-five million, twenty-five billion, uh, right. over the next few decades. So there's not even enough money in that one appropriation to deal with us for the next for the next two or three decades. So um, again, we want to bring attention to this. We want to talk about a plan that we can move forward that will that will uh, continue to be uh, adhered to moving forward. So again, once we, we can get the lead out of the water. Well, in the press release, uh, the you know President Biden and uh, the, well the Biden Harris administration, it says here is re- is moving to require utilities to replace every toxic lead service line in the United States over the next decade. I, yep. That's well, and and what I mean does that mean uh, that the utility companies will also be picking up a lot of this? Is that uh, simply in, because no, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to wrap my no, mind no, around no. all of this. Yeah. Yeah. No. So. 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 And Chicago has an exemption because the, the Biden the Biden Harris administration knows that we have too many a, a, too, too many lines. So there's no way we can <laughs> yeah. do it in a decade. Number one. Yeah. The reason why they're saying utilities is because outside of Chicago, there's other municipalities that use private water development companies like okay. whether it's um, 
you know, like if it's American Water, there's other corporations that 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 provide water. We're we're one of the uh, larger municipalities that doesn't have our water privatized. It's 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 owned by the city. Oof. Okay, I, I don't I can't decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing right now. <laughs> well, you know, you know, in 1986, um, Congress had said no more lead service lines to be installed. Chicago um, fought it, and then the federal government came back and said, look, if you install lead service lines uh, past 1986, we're going to cut your federal funding. And so they finally they finally adhered to that no lead service line. So that's why, while other cities had stopped installing lead service lines, Chicago kept going and doing it until the federal government told us, if you if you uh, install one more line, we're not getting any federal funding. So it took that threat of holding back funds in order to get us to comply with the with the uh, with federal law. Wow! Wow! Well, I, it sounds I, about I right, for- right? It sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I look forward to hearing more about the the hearing tomorrow. I, I before we go on to some of the other topics, I I didn't say we were going to talk about this, but. Uh, what has been your sense of, I mean, how, how, okay, let me put it this way. How are you managing your mental health when you go to city hall over the last few months? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, I am here. Listen, I, 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 um, I always think about who I'm working for. I'm, I work for the people okay. in, in my ward. Right. And so listen, you know, right now there's a lot of people that are angry about, um, issues and, and that's okay. As a matter of fact, I, I welcome people to come to their to their city hall to talk about issues. Obviously, we wanted to do it in a manner that's respectable. We can we can we can disagree. That's not a problem. That's what democracy sure. is. Um, so so again, it's just making sure that I'm remembering who I'm working for. So that's how I keep uh, my, uh, my my sanity. Okay. Yeah, I, I, you and I will have a coffee sometime because I, I have so many, I have so many things that I'm not sure I should ask on the air. So let's get to uh, about 15 years ago, we had our entire street ripped up for new sewer lines, and then they came through, not more than maybe two or three months, and ripped up more of the street. And we were like, why, why, why is there no communication between different branches of whatever uh, the utilities or infrastructure development, whatever it is, and this. This has not changed in 15 years, as evidenced by a photo you shared today on social media and asking de- the Department of Transportation, how, 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 is it, how is this redundancy? You have a brand new bike lane, which we're fighting for, which is necessary. And then they come in and they tear it up for a different project. I, 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 you're as apoplectic as I am, aren't you? A hundred percent. And, and what, what's really upsetting is that we're talking about a road that was open, meaning that it wasn't resurfaced. It hadn't been resurfaced yet. It was open for about two months. So you would have thought that, hey, you know what? While it's open, let's go ahead and do all the utility work that we need to. So that way we won't disturb this road for a decade. But no, um, right. the water department, the water department tells CDOT, hey, we're going to do a project over there. CDOT allows the contractor to move forward with repaving. The water department says, hey, we got to change this out. And now we're going to we're going to rip up um, a new street and disturb the new bike lane that was protected, a protected bike lane. Um, And we're doing this and it's only been two weeks. 
And I'm just like, what, what are you guys doing? This is, this is where people, again, talk about how the city works, but they don't want the city to work like this where we're wasting, where we're wasting taxpayers' money. And so, um, ironically, tomorrow, Water Department will be in front of me. I'm going to talk to them about the lack of coordination. And the problem that, I, that, I'm, that I'm, I think the solution here is that we need to have a department that is responsible for all infrastructure, and they'll yeah. be the quarterback to decide yeah. how to schedule work. And we don't have that now. Every department acts on their own schedule, uh, no. and they don't care if the schedules conflict. I'm going to do my work. I'm like, what are you guys doing? You guys got to talk to each other. So we're going to, moving forward, uh, you know, I chair the Economic Capital and Technology Committee. That's going to be something that I'm going to put forward, talk to my colleagues. My colleagues have had, have had similar experiences. Um, but this one here, I guess, is just infuriating because I was doing a, an interview about lead service lines. And then while I'm there, I'm seeing these, these trucks mobilized. And I'm like, what are you guys doing here? Oh, we're, we're going to rip up this street here. I'm like, are you crazy? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, needless to say, I, I was upset. I, and I told the water department employee that was there, like, listen, I'm not mad at you. you you're, 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 you're doing the work. I'm mad at management because management is not managing the, the, the capital dollars that we're appropriating them. And, and they're not doing it in, in a responsible way. Is that the kind of thing that it has to be legislated then in City Hall? Because uh, I, I guess in Michigan, uh, to cut red through red tape, that was holding back their replacement process. They streamlined it with legislation. Is there uh, a process for that? Well, you know what? I think uh, you would think that, you know, IDOT, I'm sorry, CDOT and Water Management has a bunch of engineers, a bunch of smart people. You would think they could figure this out. But I think that's going to take a political science major to put forth some legislation to mandate that there'll be coordination here. And if it's not them, then we'll have another department or another, another group that's responsible for infrastructure scheduling uh, to, to take the reins here. So that way, again, if it's not just our utilities, if it's people's gas, ComEd, et cetera, that they all have to talk with this, with this scheduling group in order, to, in order to put their programs on the schedule so make sure that we can see all the conflicts and talk about scheduling and moving things around in order to make sure that we're not doing duplicative work. Because you mentioned the economic cost of this, the financial cost of the city, uh, and, and, you know, to individuals. I also, I mean, this sounds, I, I'm not sure what I want to say here, I'll be honest, but there is an emotional toll that this takes on people whose streets are ripped up for weeks or months. Uh, and, and that has a ripple effect throughout the neighborhood, throughout the city, whether you're driving somewhere or you're in the grocery store. Now your, your, uh, your patience is shot because the place where you live is so, I guess, not worthy of, uh, some respect is what, it, I mean, or the street that you drive down or ride your bike down. It's, it has a compounding effect and we're going through a lot right now. And it is a little things that push people over the edge, sir. It really is. No, no, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, we're we're trying to we're trying to address the aging infrastructure that we have. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was very I was very key in getting a, a capital bill passed in city of Chicago, city of Chicago, three point nine billion to address our infrastructure needs. But you know, those are hard to pass, and they come yeah. around every five to ten years. And so, while we're while we're getting these funds these precious funds, we've got to make sure we're, we're using them responsibly um, and understanding that this money does not grow on trees. And so we've got yeah. to be 
very strategic on these investments and making sure that we're being uh, good stewards with the taxpayers' money. Well, that brings us to a really hard conversation because, uh, you know, I I work during the day for the state of Illinois in the comptroller's office and I'm trying to, you know, I write memos in regards to what's developing with our new neighbors that are coming that are are being sent here. Many of them who didn't even choose Chicago as their destination, but as a a political puppet, uh, uh, you know, they're being manipulated and they're pawns, I mean, and – this yep. is really – this has been so uh, just heartbreaking and frustrating to see folks sleeping on sidewalks and in police station floors at the airport and temporary shelters, uh, volunteers who are absolutely stretched to their max and continue to sh- – I am in awe of the people who are available 24-7 in community, communities like yours and mine who will show up when the buses arrive, have coats and shoes and toys for the kids and provide food, but they're not getting the support that they need, uh, whether from wherever that is. Uh, and then, you know, there's a solution that's proposed that people didn't like in the first place. I think that a lot of folks were concerned about uh, a contract with Garda World. Um, nobody wanted it in their community. And now we hear that the, the state of Illinois has decided they will not continue with the construction of the tent city at, at Brighton Park. Uh, <laughs> what, what, how, how are you doing today, sir? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, a lot of people had had some concerns given the, the discussion around contamination. Um, yeah. Now, I'm not a I'm not a uh, in, environmental expert as it relates to dealing with contamination or brownfields. But I know that you can, you can build things uh, as long as it's encapsulated. And I just thought that always the, the way that they were moving forward with the encapsulation, I thought was not adequate enough. And I'm mm-hmm. glad that the Illinois EPA was able to opine on the report from the consultant and say, wait a minute, you know, we're going to have people living here, uh, children living here, and there, we know that there's zinc, zinc and other toxins that have been here for years, like, we don't think this is a good idea. So I'm glad that the Illinois EPA stepped in here. Um, now, so, so, so that puts us in a bad situation now because now we got to find another location and another way to house um, the, these uh, asylum seekers. So, so one of the things that I've been thinking about um, based on some, some actions that we took recently is that, you know, on the 115th and Halstead Street site, the city bought the land, and we're going to house migrants there for a year. And then after a year, we're going to give the site to a not-for-profit that's going to develop it into some affordable housing, which I thought mm-hmm. was a good thing, which yeah. got me to thinking, well, wait a minute. Why don't we take some of the schools that are vacant, Yes. build them up, build them up, rehab them, keep them there, keep them asylum seekers there for one year, after the one year, we give it to the community and say, here's a community center for you. Um, and then, and then we, we move on and rehabilitate another school, and we keep doing that until we, uh, until we uh, you know, get a handle on this whole issue. Now, 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 I'll say that that's something that I've been thinking about um, because of the fact that we're spending $25, mil- $25 million on a tent, which is just a, a temporary structure. I'm thinking about the long-term goal here, spending $25 million upgrading a permanent structure that we own already, and then yeah. turning it over to the community for a community center. But the bigger picture is that the federal government has failed over the last few decades to deal with to deal with uh, immigration issue. And we find ourselves in this situation where you have 11 million people that are undocumented here that, that 
feel like they're being uh, pushed to the side while asylum seekers, which are legally coming here, um, are, are being, are, are being um, helped. And so we've we, we got to figure out this balance here. But, you know, the federal government not stepping up to deal with immigration, not giving enough money. Um, the state, I, I'm very th- thankful for uh, Pritzker and, and, and what the General Assembly has done to provide us money. Obviously, we, we need some additional money. Um, but because there's no way that we can shoulder this on our own. Just can't do no. it alone. No. And, and I do want to ask you, uh, because, you know, a lot of folks were making, uh, you know, jokes about, oh, tents, it's going to be really cold. Now, you've I mean, the way I imagine it is military grade and you've served in the Marines and have more familiarity yep. than many of us do. This is something that could work if it was done correctly, couldn't it? If it, if it was necessary I- to do a tent city. You know, no, absolutely, it, it could. And, and I remember um, being in South Korea um, on a dock in a tent uh, with kerosene heaters and, and um, you know, in a, in a sleeping bag trying to stay warm. So it is challenging, um, but it can okay. be done. But I, I just think that we have so many physical structures here yes. that we've got to figure we've got to figure a way um, to utilize all the physical structures first before we before we get to a tent. Um, right. So, again, that, that's it's we got to remember these are human beings that are coming here um, legally under the under seeking asylum. Um, and unfortunately, the federal government has just failed um, to to provide the necessary resources to deal with this crisis. And then Congress has failed to deal with immigration. So um, we've, yeah. we've, we've got to figure this out long term. We, we need we need immigrants. I mean, we need immigrants. That's yeah. this is how the country was built, and this is how they're going to continue to be built. Whether whether you are the Irish, the Italians, I mean, now it's the now it's the Venezuelans. It, it, it's a it's a, a chapter that keeps it, it's a chapter that keeps uh, building on a book. Uh, I I I don't uh, I don't know how to explain this, but I. Uh... Uh, I I don't understand. I, I, I understand. I know that we need more resources, and I know we need the support of the federal government. We need uh, a, a collaboration with the with the state. Things are, seem to be a little bit uh, strained. But what about who is in charge of the oversight? I mean, this feels a little bit like what we were talking about a few moments ago in regards to uh, the different infrastructure and construction, where there there doesn't seem to be a lot of communication, and the way in which the the money is being managed. We saw that investigative report from NBC where one month of services cost an extraordinary amount of money. And it, it seems like because we're a city entity, like these organizations can charge whatever they want and we keep renewing those uh, contracts. How, how is this happening too? Yeah. yeah so I, I just think that, you know, some of the contracts that were in place from the previous administration that the, the new mayor has, has, uh, uh, they, they were just a year, year or two contracts, and they were already in, in place. So he has to wait till the till the end of the term. That being said, though, there are chairmen, I think, that are very ally, that are allied with the mayor, that are just not willing to step out and say, "Hey, mayor, I think I think we're going about this the wrong way," um, and 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 bring attention to it. Listen, just because you criticize the mayor doesn't mean that you don't like the mayor. It just means that there's a disagreement there. And listen, as a fiduciary. As someone who's uh, the check and balance on the executive branch, I think it's incumbent upon us to say, hey, wait a minute. I think, I think we need to revisit this, or I think we need to analyze this a little bit more. 
and have, have further discussions. I think that the administration and his team, the mayor and his team, have relied on the emergency, the emergency orders that were put forward by the governor and are just really bypassing the, the city council uh. until, until, until this stuff happens. And then when it does, then they're looking for the, the city council to help bail them out. I think if we work together, and there's a committee that's set up for that. I mean, there's a committee it's called Immigration and Refugee Rights. I mean, this is like right up their alley. Yeah. So why why isn't why why aren't there more engagement and more meetings taking place? Now I don't sit on that committee, but um, I, I would hope that there would be more transparency around this issue and what the, and what the administration's doing to to what is the what administration is doing, what their strategy is to to address this issue. Um, you know, again, it, you know the mayor has gone to Washington D.C. along with other mayors to seek uh, to seek funding from the federal government, but you know there has to be transparency, and I think that's where a lot of frustration is coming because I have a I have a site in my ward, and I was told about it like, hey, we're we're putting a site there, and I'm like, wait a minute, we have to have a community meeting about this, and they're like, well, why? I said, why? Because because you're going to park you're going to park 200 people into a community, and no one knows who it is. Let's let's talk about this. What what are the resources available? Is there e- English second language classes being taught? Are there any certificate training programs that city colleges can provide? Is there any temporary protective status application preparation that's being that's being done? Like, let's talk about a plan here. Just you're not just going to house 200 people and, and then you know and it's you know, warehouse them. These are people. Let's figure a way to to in, engage them, have them assimilate to the to the neighborhood, have them assimilate to the city. Um, and as a result of that, there's there's 190. Uh, asylum seekers that are a site in my ward, and my ward has stepped up. They're like, "Look, we want to help. What can we do to help?" So it's it's been a, it's been a, a pretty good, for the most part, pretty good um, scenario here. But that was because I forced the administration to have discussions to be transparent about what they were trying to do. That's a that it is a. I'm I'm so grateful for the work that you do, and collaborating with neighbors is absolutely absolutely the way to get this done. Before we let you go, uh, what do you want folks to know about what's happening in your ward as we head into the holiday holiday season? I represent uh, also uh, besides Belmont Craig and and uh, Montclair Dunning area. I represent Ukrainian Village. So um, in the Ukrainian Village area. We're, we're working on trying to get some funding in, uh, around streetscape in order to designate it. Well, actually, uh, dress it up because it's already designated as Ukrainian village, but really make it a destination point for people that are, when they come to Chicago, just like they go to Chinatown or, or a little Italy, that they can come to Ukrainian village to, to see some of the restaurants and other shops that are there. Oh, that's lovely. I really appreciate that. Where can folks get more information? Your Facebook page, follow Alderman Gilbert Villegas. So, Go ahead. That's right. So, 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 Patty, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't look for me on TikTok. My staff's been trying to get me. I, I just can't get there. But I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm the same way. I mean, there's only so much we can do, right? We can't live our exactly. lives on social media. We want to communicate with people. But uh, I, I'm so grateful for you, sir. And I wish you, you your family, uh, and your community a wonderful holiday season. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. You got it. Thank you, Patty. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thank you so much. Happy holidays, my friend. Have a good evening. Uh, let's take a break here. And uh, we're going to lead right into the 6 o'clock news in just a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. 
says Patty Vatt. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing ass says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for joining us as we drive it home until 7. I want to say hello to our friends in Minneapolis-St. Paul listening on KTNF 950 AM. And so excited to be on a little bit earlier in your neck of the woods. We've been talking a little bit of uh, local news in Chicago. We uh, we had just had a conversation with Alderman Gilbert Villegas of the 36th Ward filling us in on what's going on in regards to infrastructure and the immigration status for our asylum seekers. Uh, let's talk to Lee who's on the line, wants to join in the conversation. How you doing, Lee? How you doing, Patty? I'm doing all right, thank you. What's going on? Yeah, I wanted to um, chime in and piggyback on some of what the um, argument was saying. Um, I really do think it should be a conversation with these aldermans, and I, I, don't, I don't, I voted for Brandon Johnson, and I don't think he's really going about this situation particularly the right way if I because I I, I, I I I'm not gonna argue with you go ahead <laughs> and I I'll look at it this way I'm from the south side of Chicago the Inglewood area mm-hmm. so you I, I understand I feel for these immigrants that's coming here they're running from horrible places around this you know to get here to try to find a new life and start and build with their families. And I understand that, but the mayor has to have these conversations with these aldermen in their communities. Cause the way things are happening that I'm seeing in my community, you're dumping already. Okay. So I'm not going to say dumping. You're putting more strain on an already strained neighborhood neighborhoods that's that's already strained and, and depleted of resources and it's and it's just without any type of plan behind and it and I don't know I'm not in, in government but it doesn't look mm-hmm. like there's a plan behind it. It just it looks very bad from the outside looking in. And these communities are already strained. Like I said, I'm from the south side of Chicago, Inglewood. I see I'm seeing communities that's impoverished already and then how how does that help anyone add more to that right without any type of plan i don't see any type of plan i walk i, I drive home from street you have these these um immigrants standing outside these people are standing outside freezing on corners and and you know what you can't do nothing but feel bad for them but at the same exact time you got to say well how can we help the immigrants that's coming in and you're not helping the people that's already in this community. What mm-hmm. is the plan? So I, you know, I, I just want, I, yeah, I, I, I was very concerned. I mean, I've been concerned the entire time as soon as governor Abbott started and, and, and before governor Abbott and governor DeSantis started putting folks on planes and buses and started shipping them to places where they didn't even know what their destination was. Uh, it, it's heartbreaking to see, and and I, when I I saw it that is. there were uh, it is, and, and when I saw people from communities like yours, uh, like uh, Austin Gage, uh, places that are already, as you mentioned, uh, suffering from 
disinvestment from being marginalized by the city of Chicago for over 100 years. Uh, and let's let's not, you know, people think, you know, oh, it, the, the idea that everything is fine and we're all, you know, enjoying the same uh, privileges uh, to live in the city of Chicago is absolutely a fallacy. And I know that. And I know a lot of people don't want to admit it. Um, that there's a deeply entrenched, uh, not just racism, but uh, not allowing people to buy houses or rent home, rent apartments uh, simply because of the color of their skin has had a long-term effect that we still are grappling with. And so when I saw folks uh, saying, you know, what about us? It was it was hard because it's an important and significant question. Uh, you know, where has where has been the support and the care? And 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 yet you know, we understand why people want to help refugees. And it's really and, and I, it even uh, hit me even closer to home when I talked to some folks who provide services for people who have disabilities. And they've been told, Lee, that they are going to lose millions of dollars in support services because there's just not enough money in the budget. From the state. And so now we have a community again that is and and I've talked to providers who are like and, you know, it's interesting. I never thought that I would hear. I understand that the migrants and asylum seekers need help. But what am I going to do for the people in this community that has that needs 24 hour care? uh, People who, you know, cannot survive without the support services. And and so it's having it's reaching everyone. And I've said this before, and I know a listener got really angry with me when I said there's always money, and there simply is. There are it trillions is. of dollars. I, I agree in with the, you, yeah, Patty. yeah, there's trillions of dollars in deep pockets in a consolidated, extraordinarily wealthy population that's tiny, and the, it leaves the rest of us just you know begging for scraps. And that's where we are right now. And that's they want it this way. They want us to be fighting. I, I, that oh, was. I believe yeah. that. I really do believe yeah. that. That was my next point. I, I believe that because. Um, if you look at where the migrants are ended up, it's all black and brown neighborhoods, mostly. I'm not going to say all, but it's mostly black and brown strain neighborhoods that's already suffering. And I believe they, I believe it's kind of by design. I could be wrong, but I believe it's kind of by design. I think it's by design. I think it's intended to, to, you know, make us angry at each other. I mean, what better way to divide liberals than to, and, and demographics that t- typically or have for a long time voted Democrat, uh, you know, have us fighting against each other, whether exactly. it's for support services or whether it's for, you know, the black and brown communities that have have already had, a, a, you know, somewhat of a strained relationship to begin with. We simply have. Yeah, you know, that's just, it, that's just the truth. Yeah, it is. Well, look, we're all we are at our nature. We are still we're still we're mammals, right? We're built to survive. And so when we see yeah. someone as a threat, getting something that we believe we should have too, or we should have instead of them, it's going to make us angry. And, and it's hard to fight through that. This, just our, our own human instincts of survival. It's just hard. And I have that conversation with people and I, and I try to explain like like you're explaining it now. And, and I, I get the same conversation from everybody. Like their threat, like it's like you said, it's, it's survival. Yeah. Why are they getting what we should be getting? You know, and I'm like, you know, you got to look at it. I don't put it. It's not their fault. You know what I mean? It's not their fault. And like you say, it's buckets of money that yes. our city, our, our country can dip into. Is them the money is there? I just believe our mayor is going about this situation the whole wrong way. 
I I really as a human I I mean I I really I like Brandon Johnson. I was uh, grateful that he he wanted to uh, take the responsibility of what many of us thought. Well, this is this is not an easy job, um, but this ain't it. It's it's just not. I mean, say this is not it. And saying I inherited this problem, this was this problem six months ago. You asked for this problem, and we said, you know what? We pick you. We pick you. You ran for mayor. Yeah. So yeah, it's be the mayor. <laughs> be the mayor, man. Um, don't you know? Don't be. I, I mean, it, you know, it is, it, it, glibness is not appreciated. Uh, dismissiveness is brutal in this situation when people are going to be outside in the cold, whether they are our neighbors that have been here for years or neighbors who are nearly ar- arrived, knowing that, that there are children who are going to freeze is always uh, the wrong, the wrong city to be in, in Chicago is how, how are we still in this, in this position? Yeah, yeah. that's horrible. It is, it is really what? bad. Yeah, that's well. Well, thank you, Patty. Thank you for taking my call. I love your of show. Course. I listen every day. Oh, Lee, I'm a, I'm so grateful to know that. Thank you for calling in today. Do you have uh, Do you have holiday plans? What's uh, What's in, uh, on the uh, the menu for celebrating the holidays? Oh man, just just being around my family, holding them close, yeah. holding them tight, eat yes. good eating, and yes. spend all my money and get my money spent. <laughs> well, be be cautious with it. They, yeah, you're. You know, that's the thing is, I think that if I feel like this year, I feel exactly the same way. I just want to. I just want to snuggle and uh, cozy with my family and uh, be low stress, and uh, and and shower them with love. That's. I'm with you. I think we're feeling. Yeah, that. just a, just appreciate and feel appreciated. I like it. Well, you are appreciated, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, Patty. Have a. Thank you. Have a good night. Let's uh, take a break here. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. The number is 773-763-9278. That's the number to call and join the conversation. You can also text 773-763-9278, even if it's just something fun like the 630 saying, Patty, I've got the perfect Republican ticket, Trump, Santos, all liars all the time. So join us anytime. More after this on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF Minneapolis, St. Paul. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. Percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Buy yours at Beer on the Wall, Arlington Heights, Woodman's in Bloomingdale, Kenwood Liquors in Homer Glen, and more to come. Must be 21. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Uh, interesting that our news break there was uh, covering the sag after negotiations and our contract that uh, we're all voting on. Today is the deadline. It is uh, the deadline is, I believe, 5 p.m. today. I'll take a look. But if you are a member of SAG-AFTRA, and I know we have some of our incredible members listening to the show, and I'm so grateful for my brothers and sisters in solidarity. This has been this is something I've I've kind of uh, held back on um, 
weighing in on because there are a lot of really important details of this. So we have not ratified the contract yet. And what we are fighting for the most right now, what we absolutely want to know, we are protected uh, in regards to uh, artificial intelligence. And uh, I've had a lot of that's why I'm in Los Angeles is uh, talking to uh, members of the union, uh, people who worked on the contracts. And uh, and I'm I'm grateful for their work. I'm hopeful that uh, that whatever happens with the results of this strike, we will get the protections that we have have fought for and and deserve. Uh, Everyone deserves uh, respect, representation. Uh, We deserve a credit and compensation. And so uh, we'll see what happens. Let's talk to uh, Steve, who's on the line in his car um, from the north side. Hey, Steve, what's on your what's on your mind? Hi, Patty. Listening to your program and uh, your your our uh, five to seven drive at home uh, uh, source of uh, wonderful information. But I wanted to chime in on your conversation. Uh, There's a lot about uh, government and a lot of things that are not being done, but I wanted to share with you what what is being done. And uh, a friend of ours, uh, Anastasia Anna, works as a case manager for Catholic Charities, and she is uh, Venezuelan-American. She's assigned families uh, that are intact and are ready for housing. And Anna has to hunt down housing. So just one example is that she found a woman who was selling a house in Calumet City. She called the woman and she talked the woman into renting the house. And the woman took the house off the market. Catholic Charities paid her $15,000 for six months rent. And this uh, family from Venezuela has uh, a house to live in for the six months and she helps them find work as well. This oh, was a, a fam- this was a family of six, a husband, wife, 17 year old and 11 year old, a cousin and a nephew. And then the grandmother, the grandmother, they went through, uh, in six months, they went through, uh, 10 countries to get to the U S they spent a one month in the Costa Rican jungle. And they came for the grandma, grandmother's help. When she got to Texas, they put him on an emergency bus to Chicago, and they got him into got her to a hospital. She had been suffering from cancer. She she did not make it. She uh, passed oh. away in Chicago. But this family, uh, and they're educated. This is an educated family uh, that were suffering in Venezuela. And um, they, uh, she found him a job, and uh, he commutes up to Niles, and now he has work, and they're looking for work for these people. They they want to work. They you know they are they are refugees and immigrants, and it's so I put the word out. Uh, I found out what Anna was doing. I put the word out to my church, and my church in the south suburbs. The ladies have a a quilting ministry. And so they make 75 to 100 quilts a year and donate them. So all these women in their 80s donated quilts, and I took eight quilts over to the family at their new house in Calumet City. And I just got a list from Anna on a message today that uh, a shopping list of clothing and jackets and scarves and sizes that this family of six needs. So I just wanted to say that if you want to, if you don't know where to help, Catholic mm-hmm. Charities is doing amazing work, 
and they could always use financial resources. And uh, and then churches on a one-by-one basis, we can't help the world, but we can help one family at a time. That's fantastic. Do you have uh, – so the website – is uh, catholiccharities.net. Is that the, do you know if that's the local that will take people to the, oh, here, Catholic Charities. There, I know that they have uh, an office on LaSalle. And, uh, and again, as, uh, as our friend Steve mentioned, uh, there are a lot of uh, churches throughout the city. I know the Friendship Church, uh, church over in Chicago, uh, right by 16th District, they're helping out. Uh, and, and there are legislators and electeds that are coordinating with these uh, church groups and volunteer groups as well. If you look online, you can Google like on, on, or you can search on Facebook uh, for refugee. Is it, there, a lot of folks that worked with the, uh, the folks coming from Afghanistan uh, have pivoted, I guess is the way we would say it, or uh, <laughs> been nimble about helping more people coming in who need support. So search out those groups, whether it's, as uh, Steve mentioned, clothing and uh, helping out uh, financially. Uh, everything uh, really makes a difference. Thank you so much for these stories, Steve. It's really appreciated. Uh, how, is your, how is your friend doing as far as, like, I mean, it's a lot of work. and it's, It can be emotionally draining, she is, too. How, yeah. She, uh, Anna has wanted to quit a hundred times over. Uh, oh. And it's, it's the, they're, they're, her, the problem is that some of the families have, uh, are broken up. There were, there's, there's issues. There's uh, a lot of crime going on. Uh, there are uh, people in the neighborhoods in the city. They're preying upon the immigrants who are uh, just sleeping yeah. out in the street or, and then also too the gangs are trying to recruit them, the young men mm. as well. Mm. And, and it's, it's very hard to try and vet the criminal element from the, people who suffered and and it's just it's a mess but but little by little uh there the police and the city and churches and not-for-profits they're just doing their best rolling their sleeves up trying to be creative and um uh, one of the issues anna's had is that uh uh, eight members of her staff she's a, a supervisor uh that uh were found uh fired for selling bribes that they were no. uh, uh, they were working uh, finding apartment building owners that would accept these six month rent payments for these families, and they were taking kickbacks, and so they were selling the service to these owners, and then trying to broker their own deals on the side, and, oh my and God. they get they get caught, they get fired, and and uh, Anna is just burning the candle at both ends, but then a. Uh, a family like uh, this Venezuelan family, Alberto and Enrique and Luis and his wife and children, uh, these, these are the families that uh, keep everybody going to know that yeah. there's people that that need, you know, and, and politics has nothing to do with it. You know, yeah. and uh, you just people in need and you roll your sleeves up and, and you help. So uh, I uh, was able to get my church connected and I'm kind of a, a gopher go between between Anna and her job and with uh, my church and trying to get other churches in our denomination involved as well. That's great. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. And please uh, tell your friend that we're great. I, I know that it's, you know, 
it it's probably falls on uh, exhausted ears to hear people say thank you. Uh, it, it's hard to hear those words uh, because you're just doing your best and don't feel supported. But I wish we could do something. You know, I I, I want to do this because uh, I'm off on uh, I'm off for the next couple of days. Uh, can I can you hold on the line and uh, share your uh, information with Andy because I want to send you a gift card. I I don't know if your friend will accept it, but like we have some wonderful sponsors with some really uh, great items that might you know be a little bit of a little bit of cheer for what was her name again that social was, worker uh uh anastasia anastasia and, uh, yeah. and uh, i have her address and information um I'm in the car driving That's okay. home. No, 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 no. Just uh, we'll send, easier, if it's okay, it's if it's okay we can send it to you. My, yes. Yeah, let's send it to, to you. Easier to give my information. Yep, and yep. I'll make sure she gets it. That would be lovely. So it's uh, basically the least we could do, uh, literally, compared to what she's doing. It's the least, but uh, we'd like to do something. So stand, uh, hang, hang on, and we'll send it. We're, we're giving you one of the First Timer Friday gift cards. Uh, is it your first time calling, Steve? I am. A long-time oh. listener. Hey, this works out perfectly. So you do what you would like with the card, but I, I know that you're going to give it to Anastasia. So, so, I, so hold I, I on work line. In the North yep. Shore. I work in the North Shore, and I drive 50 miles every day to the south suburbs. So wow. uh, uh, I, I, I ride home with Teddy Vasquez from 5 to uh, 7. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Steve, and thank you for sharing that story with us. Please send Anastasia our best and the gift card that we'll send out to you. Thank you. Hold on with Andy, and he'll get your info. Please, Andy, thank you so much. And we have uh, another caller I know, too. Be well, Stephen. And right now we have on the line with us, uh, Charles wants to talk, uh, calling from Evanston. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind? Hi, Penny. Um, a couple hey. of things. Well, um, first thing, I, my wife and I, we sponsored four migrants from Haiti um, a few mm-hmm. months ago. And um, we've been helping them out. We finally got them to get their work permits. Now they're starting to work. And um, we were able to find them an apartment. So, I mean, it's a long process, but the thing I would suggest is why, does the, why doesn't the city council come up with a plan that every time one of these buses come into the city, that the bus it gets confiscated, the bus cannot leave the city, and then we could use the proceeds to, to help pay for these migrants. I mean, some kind of law can be passed for that. Yeah, so what mean- is the city council, somebody from the city can hear that. I mean, I think something like that should be done. Well, walk me through this. So the buses that come in hold the buses? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? The bus comes in, and then the bus is going to be held because it, it shouldn't be. Yeah. I'm sure there's some kind of law that's being broken with, with these buses traveling cross-country, cross-states to come here in the city without being announced with the, with these people like that. And so if they're going to send the buses here, the buses should stay here. And the bus that's could either be used at a warming center, or it could be used as a, it could be used as a warming center, or it could be used oh. to sell the buses for the proceeds, or something can be used, but the bus should not be able to leave the city of Chicago. That's interesting because I know that it's been the idea has been floated, uh, and I think it, I don't know if it's at the state level or the city level of uh, of fining these bus companies. I, oh, you know what? It was uh, Congressman uh, Jackson was saying that he wanted to, to fine these bus companies, and what I was reading is that they make so much money that they're pretty certain that the buses would the bus companies wouldn't mind paying the fines and still take the profit. But the idea of impounding those buses. And uh, basically, uh, uh, eminent domain, the buses, sounds interesting to me. I don't know if there would be any exactly. will to go up against. Yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting idea, my friend. That's great. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you. Love your show. Thank you. Love you. Have a great night, Charles. Thank- oh, wait, Charles? Oh, yes. I lost him. Oh, hi. There you are. No, no, hi. Hi. 
I, you know, it's interesting when you started talking about how you have uh, have given uh, shelter to uh, Haitian um, uh, migrants. I was thinking because online you always see these people argue. Well, are you going to put them in your house? Like you're one of the few people that says, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give them shelter. I'm gonna provide housing for the." I just want to thank you for yeah, being that please. person. Yeah. These are people who are professionals, you know, they just had a hard time, you know, they really struggled to get here and they really want to work. That's what they want to do. They just want to work. And and again, Americans don't want to do. Yeah, they want to survive. They want to prosper. They want to keep their families safe. So I'm going to do the same thing. And I know you're going to be like, oh, I don't really want a gift card or whatever it is you're going to say. I want you to hold on the line so Andy can take your information. It's just a a gesture of gratitude. And I believe it's the first time you called as well. I'm moving first time Wednesday. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. As I know. Oh, is it, is it Tuesday? See, I don't even know what day it is. This works out perfectly. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Charles. Uh, hang out for Andy, and we're going to send out a gift card from one of our wonderful sponsors. Have a great evening, Charles. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I yeah. <laughs> my uh, 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 from my home, I have a text coming in saying they should impound. Oh, I've lost the text. Uh, thank you to my husband. I'm texting with my husband while we're on the show. This is how we communicate. They should impound them and detain the drivers. The Fed should pull licensing for buses and airlines. It's interesting. And then there's a story that some tenants were illegally evicted to make room for incoming migrants, possibly a revenge uh, for the changeover. This is crazy. Uh, Chicago police uh, opened an arson investigation for fire damages uh, in a fire that uh, has been classified as arson. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, there's a see there. There's a lot going on here, not just beneath the surface, but uh, just there's a rage that is uh, spreading. And somebody mentioned, um, oh, there's a text. I think it was Mary. Mary just texted me about making those decisions. Um, those decisions as far as where migrants, asylum seekers, uh, the folks that are coming in, into our, our communities being bused here by Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis, uh, mostly Governor Abbott, uh, that started under the administration of Lori Lightfoot. Uh, and I know like now people are spreading tweets about uh, seeing her at a bar and people coming up to her and saying that they miss her. And she says, you know, you wouldn't imagine how many people are saying that. I, it, there has to be a better way, folks. And uh, unless there's something we're missing, um, I, I can't imagine that this is the best we can do. Let's take a break here. Oh, coming up after this break, I, I'm very uh, honored to have this conversation with our upcoming guests. We're going to talk about uh, Cancer Screen Week, but we're also going to talk to a cancer survivor who's an artist uh, who tells amazing stories. Uh, and and they they were featured in a panel at the Comic Con here in Los Angeles. We're going to talk to Marissa uh, Marissa, who is a breast cancer survivor and breast best-selling comic writer, and Dr. Christina Enzinata, who is uh, the Senior Vice President of Extramural Discovery Science at the American Cancer Society. So more after this on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. There's so much that goes on behind closed doors. On WCPT 820. I am very excited to bring on our next guest. I'm honored to bring them on. We're Joining us right now is Marissa Agacello, who is a breast cancer survivor and best-selling comic writer. And we have Dr. Christina Anunziata, who's a senior vice president of extramural discovery science at the American Cancer Society. And this week is Cancer Screen Week. Uh, first of all, let me say hello. Marissa, Marissa, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Hi, Patty. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be talking with you. I'm doing really I, great. I'm, thanks. 
I am thrilled to have you. We also have uh, Dr. Christina Anunziata. I hope I'm saying both your names correctly. How are you doing, Doc? Very good. Yes, you pronounced it perfectly. And thanks so much uh, for highlighting this important uh, this important endeavor. Absolutely. Now, I know that you had a panel at the uh, at the, the Comic-Con in Los Angeles, The Art of Hope, Cancer and Comics on and off the page, which uh, brings a mix of creatives in the comic industry who are cancer survivors. So, Marisa, let me ask you first, how did this uh, this wonderful collaboration come into existence? Well, um, I was contacted by the wonderful women at um, Genentech, and they wanted to put this together and uh we thought it was just a great idea so um they contacted me and they said would you want to do a panel at comic-con and i've spoken at comic-con before about cancer vixens so i just think it's so important to get the word out and i'll do everything and anything i can to help spread the word about screening about early detection because when i was diagnosed with breast cancer um i didn't have health insurance Mm. And I was really, I know, and I was really, really lucky that I detected the tumor early. And uh, I was friends with the great Evelyn Lauder, who created the pink ribbon. And she, her, yeah, I was really dear friends with her. And her message was early detection saves lives. And she was right then and she's right now. So, and and yes. I, I, I'll talk from here until tomorrow, until the next life and the life after that, <laughs> about how important it is to make sure you catch it early. Oh, no, no doubt about that. And, and I, I know mm-hmm. the doctor has sen- similar uh, sentiments about that. And before we get to a lot of the uh, cancer screening conversation and, uh, and how we should approach our own advocacy, uh, doctor, I want to ask you first, was this, how, have you been at a Comic-Con and been on a panel like this? Because it sounds like a, a new venture and, and a, just an interesting journey. Yeah, absolutely. No, I have not been to Comic-Con before, oh. but I have to say my children are very into the whole uh, comic universe. So, so I'm aware of it. I knew what it was, but I had not certainly attended a comic con before. Um, but certainly a wonderful opportunity and, and a really engaged audience. I mean, uh, to be honest, it's really the right, uh, the right audience to be talking about cancer screening. Oh, I agree. I, and Marisa, I, I, you know, my experience at comic cons has always been, uh, it is really a, a community of people who want to express themselves at where they are, whether it's, uh, you know, just, I, I've, my, I used to get picked on for being a bit of a nerd or, uh, you know, I'm a gamer and I only connect with people online or a disability. We've gone to Comic-Con since my boys were little and my, my younger son has uh, significant intellectual and physical disabilities. And I have to tell you, it's a place where we feel so much joy. So tell me what this has been like, you know, as a comic writer, as someone who part- is, is a part of this community and and then bringing this conversation to an event like like comic-con what what has that been like for you well i mean to be honest um my book cancer vixen came out in 2006 so uh i first i first talked about cancer vixen and it's i didn't want to see myself as a victim i wanted to see myself as a vixen and you know, Vixen, yes. who was empowered and kicked cancer's bony, you know, butt. I don't know how much <laughs> I could say, but yeah. So, so yes, yeah, so I envisioned myself as, you know, kicking cancer's bony butt. And then I said, I'm going to do it in killer five-inch heels. And um, so even back then when I spoke about it, it was 
I, there was a, a big audience for it because people hunger for, even though this is comic books and a lot of it is fiction, people hunger for real stories and they hunger for stories of people overcoming whatever adversity they're faced with. So I think that story is always going to be a universal story. And when it's based in reality, I think people really respond to it with whatever some, someone is going through. So, and I'm really grateful that, you know, we were able to speak during cancer screen week led by, which is led by the American cancer society, along with Genentech Optum and stand up to cancer. I think all those organizations are really, really doing such great work. And I'm really happy to be talking on behalf of cancer screen week, because I know how important it is to catch cancer early. Like I said, I had, I had breast cancer stage one, and I also had melanoma. There's a link between melanoma and breast cancer, and I've had Uh melanoma twice. So I'm a three-time cancer survivor. So I really was, I welcome the opportunity to speak about this. What that's that's outstanding, and uh, and and uh, doctor, what what do you um you know what do you see as that connection between storytelling, uh you know because there is like this we're afraid to say the word, and and yet we all know someone in our lives who we love or work with or our neighbors that uh, are diagnosed with cancer, and, and there's just a lot of uh you, you know just people shut down sometimes. What do you see as that connective tissue with uh, creativity and, uh, and approaching this diagnosis? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of related avenues, actually. I, uh, the creativity is one of them. If people are creative, um, just like Marisa, to be able to put that story into words and or pictures is mm-hmm. something that can be healing uh, for the yes. person going through it. And also for people reading, you know, uh, reading the, uh, the experiencing the comic or the, uh, the creative outlet. Um, I think it also, uh, you know, brings in the whole idea of courage and facing, uh, facing hardship, um, bringing in heroes to, uh, into the story. So, uh, so there's a lot of that about going through any sort of difficult diagnosis, whether it's cancer um, or another illness that whole idea of bravery, courage, and sort of getting through, um, getting through it with, with your, uh, with your people, with your family, with your doctors, um, is a really important message. Incredible. I also want to add, yes. I, I think what Dr. Annunziata said is really right on. And I also want to add that, um, whenever somebody is going through something really, really difficult, I think it really helps to put it on the page and take it off your body. Keep it off your body for that reason. I never used the word my in front of cancer. I never wanted to own it. I never wanted to put it on me. I never wanted to be part of my body. I wanted to keep it off me. And I realize now that what I did was called objective journaling. And I recommend that to anybody going through any kind of difficult situation You'll, you'll feel so much better having an outlet and putting it on paper and just talking about it as, a, as opposed to internalizing it, externalizing whatever it is you're going through. It could be really, really healing. And who knows, you know, it could be a book or a movie or a coloring book or a play or, or whatever. But I just think when you're going through something, it's really, really, 
I highly recommend that, no matter what. I I agree completely, uh, and not to get into my own stories, but I, I there was a point where I need I had because you keep telling the story over and over in, in your head, so it mm-hmm. makes it more intense and and distorts your own reality sometimes, and so that actually leads me to my next question. Tell us about your uh, you know how you started as a comic book writer. Were you, you know were you dawdling as a kid? Were you, you know because I'm a stand up comic and people always ask me was I the class clown and I was not. I was the class comic and it's different. That's another conversation. What? Uh, when right. did you start this? When did you start this uh, this artistic artistic adventure? Well, it's kind of funny because um, it actually started in the womb. Believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> not that I was actually drawing in the womb, but my mom, when she was pregnant with me, she got a phone call from Jackie Kennedy, who was pregnant with John John, and she wanted my mother to design her shoe for a very, she said, special occasion because Jackie had a size 11 shoe and my mother had a size 11 shoe also. My mother was a head designer for I. Miller and my mother said, well, I'm a size 11, we could commiserate. So my mom designed Jackie Kennedy's inaugural shoe for JFK's inauguration. And from that, after she gave birth to me, she would do these drawings of women wearing her beautiful, fabulous shoes. And I would basically just imitate my mother. So that's how I started drawing. And then I got really bored with the women because they didn't have something to say. So we took one vacation, which really, which wasn't uh, the New Jersey shore, which is where I grew up in New Jersey. And we went to Bermuda and we wound up in this pink elephant of a house with drawings on them that had captions. And I thought to myself, wow, the women that I've been drawing could talk, and it was actually James Thurber's house, the famous New Yorker what? cartoonist. Yeah, so <laughs> we're big fans. Kinda, like, yeah, really, I love James no, Thurber. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Un- well, what yeah. a remarkable origin story. Of course, now I'm 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 just I'm trying desperately to, to Google Jackie O's inauguration shoes. <laughs> what an incredible. <laughs> What an incredible story, and and really, uh, and what an, a, a tribute to your your mother as an artist to uh, to embrace that and find your own uh, v- you know way to put, put yourself out there and share the human experience. It's it's incredible. And and uh, and and doctor, I want to ask you the same question: What drew you to to, to be a, to be in the medical profession? I mean, this is a it's a lot of work. It's a long years of studying. And uh, and believe me, we're grateful. What what led you to to become a doctor? Well, to become a doctor uh, uh, in general, actually, I was always driven by uh, the ability to do research. So I was a cancer researcher at the National Cancer Institute for 21 years before joining the American Cancer Society. So my draw was that um, I really felt like I I wanted to use my science to be able to have the greatest impact in helping people. Um, So I became actually an oncologist, a cancer doctor, because I thought that's where I could have the greatest impact Um, in both the research and finding new ways to treat people, new ways to help people, um, and also in the clinic with actually uh, seeing the patients and treating the patients. So really I was driven by, you know, how can I make the most impact with uh, with my knowledge and with my uh, discoveries, I, I like how you're like, and, and just this, and, and and now I do the work. <laughs> <You're> very, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you're like, and and this is what I do. I mean, because it can be. Look, you know, I have. Um, and let's let's get to the ab- the self advocacy uh, part of this because, as I mentioned, we all are affected by cancer. We all are, every single person. And you know, mm-hmm. my father had small cell lung cancer. My mother is a survivor of oh. breast cancer and stomach cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, it, it, and look, it is. You know, this is my this is our world. Uh, so, Marisa. In your, you know, you mentioned uh, melanoma and uh, and and the, mm-hmm. the connectivity between that. You know, what can you tell us about you know people who need because we often put off those appointments. We think, well, you know, I'm feeling fine, or I don't need to know. I mean, those are literally the the excuses people have, or it's too painful. I don't like the machine. Um, it's it makes me un- self conscious. What do you say to folks about catching cancer early? Well. You know, it's really early detection saves lives. And the more you procrastinate, the more you put your life in jeopardy. I think that's really a fact. So um, I, I can't I just think the most important thing in the world is screening, getting screened and catching cancer early. That's going to be the difference between life and death. And I also think, you know, Dr. Annunziata, maybe you want to talk a little yeah. bit about that, too, because. Right. So, I could, Dr. Annunziata, yeah. I, I, uh, I do stand up comedy as well. And one of the things and, and like it's a bit I do I will do for as long as people will let me uh, talk about on stage. I talk about how uncomfortable I am in the stirrups. And this isn't, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's just a fact of life that this is the exam we've had since 1927. Um, it, it, it's not a matter of like, you know, have, you know, just a. Uh, just get through it. It is, it's valuable. It can save. And I've had women write to me and tell me that they hadn't had a pap smear in 12 years, but when they saw me on stage and realized that other women are feeling the same way, they finally made an appointment. And when they were in the stirrups, they thought of me. And I don't think that's embarrassing. I love that. Whatever it takes to make sure we are, uh, because women often don't go for screenings because they're too busy. I'm taking care of everybody, but we can't take care of the people in our lives if we're not taking care of ourselves. Can we? Wow, Absolutely. So I well mean, that, that is so that is so well put. And like Marissa said, I can't emphasize enough: cancer screening can save lives. We American Cancer Society has uh, published several guidelines on the uh, the uh, recommended sequences and timing for cancer screening. It's on cancerscreenweek.org. It's also on our American Cancer Society website on cancer.org. So they're very easy to find. We also have a hotline that people can call and talk to a person directly if they have questions. But, uh, you know, specifically, there are uh, there are tests that can be done. Like you said, one of them is the pap smear. That is a simple um, office procedure that if the if, you know, if abnormal cells are found, they can do a, they can take care of the treatment before it even becomes cancer. And that's really uh, the goal is to prevent people from even getting cancer uh, or finding it in very early stages where it's much, much more treatable than if it's found at a later stage. Um, so, yeah, the motivation should be not only for yourself, but also for your family. Uh, your family is is also affected by whether you get cancer, right? If you have yeah. cancer and you're going through a treatment, that affects not only you, but affects your family. And, of course, you... you you could do it. You like I said, you could do it for yourself, but you could also do it for your family. 
I, I agree. Although I wouldn't mind if there were like a, I need a ballet bar, like a Pilates bar or something in the waiting room so I can do some stretches. Because when they say scooch, I, I'm not, I'm not that limber. I just am not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and that's and yeah. look, that's that's always been my Marisa, you know, through art, you know, we find ways to try to make those hard uh, element. I try to make those hard things uh, sort of consumable, I, I guess is the only way to put it. And you have taken, you know, what you've learned to create uh, the Marisa Acostello Empowerment Program. Tell us a little, about, a little bit about these holistic therapies and journaling classes. Oh, so. Um, yes, I did fund at uh, Mount Sinai, the Marie Sacachel Empowerment Fund, uh, where I wanted to have, just like I said, you know, objective journaling, have women mm-hmm. journal and write, keep the cancer off them and put it on the page. And they actually sent me a book, which was really great about all their different experiences. And they put it into a book and it was really beautiful. And um they were doing Qigong and uh, Reiki and various other therapies at Mount Sinai. So I did, and early on I was funding mammograms as well. So and it was it was really a gratifying experience being able to give back to the community. And, and I'm um, sure. I'm so grateful that, that you that you have you know because it's it, you know it's one thing to, to get through something or be in the middle of it, um, and it's another thing to take that and go you know what I also I'm in a space where I can help other people. It's remarkable. It really is. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Well, you know what the thing is, I was so grateful that I didn't have health insurance, and then I was able to get it through my husband. But I'm now divorced. But <laughs> it was at that moment, point in time, it was. I was really frightened and I was really grateful to be able to have health insurance and to be able to pay for the different therapies. You know, I'll tell you this, when I was first diagnosed, I was terrified and I was actually thinking of putting off treatment and my doctors, they were at St. Vincent's, which is now Mount Sinai, were adamant that I get treated and they were, they said, we'll find a way to make sure you're okay. And mm. they, they were, so I was really grateful and I just want to give a shout out to all the good doctors out there, especially the one on this call, because <laughs> when you hear when you hear her doctor saying she just wants to help people, I mean that is worth everything. I've gotten to know Doctor Annunziata, and she's really one in a million. So you know, I know. Thank it's you really so much. Yeah, it's really important to have the right team behind you and with you and find your right doctors. So there's there's so many elements to the journey that I've learned. And, you know, it's also about asking questions and, you know, doing doing things that after, even afterwards that'll prevent cancer, like not eating sugar because sugar feeds cancer and moving your body and getting exercise. And having a be- have living your best life and cutting out all things that are toxic, including like people who are not good yes. for you. And yes, you know, just like living <laughs> your best life. So I would have. I'd, I'd have rather have a glass. Is it okay, mm-hmm. Doctor Nunziato to Nunziata to mm-hmm. uh, choose a glass of wine over ta- toxic people? I'm just. <laughs> just <I think. laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's important. Mental health is certainly important in uh, in the cancer journey and in in your you know, in your whole life. So, uh, yeah, uh, mental health is important. 
I uh, I know that uh, so we are we are focusing on uh, these extraordinary guests, uh, Marisa Acachello. Am I saying Acachella and uh, Christina, Doctor Christina? Acachella and Dr. Christina Annunziata. Uh, Dr. Annunziata, you know what? I know that there's a there are websites for people to go for uh, Cancer Screen Week. Uh, the American uh, what is it? The CancerScreenWeek.org, folks. Go to CancerScreenWeek.org. And I also, before I, I ask my next next question, I want to let folks know in the Chicagoland area, specifically for uh, breast cancer, a SilverLiningFoundation.org is a great resource funding cost free breast health testing. So please, uh, for folks who don't know where to turn, and if you're under underinsured or uninsured, go to a silverliningfoundation.org. Um, what are some of the the things that uh, you know? There are, obviously there there are there's criteria for how often you should have, uh, you know, colon cancer screening, um, you know, a Pap smear, those kinds of things. What? How do people prioritize that? Right? Because we all we have busy lives, and we're like, I you know I I can't run on time for this, or it's uncomfortable. What's the, the easiest way to get somebody into the doctor's office in your experience? Um. So I would say that uh, uh, the um. It, it's really good to hold each other accountable. Ooh, so yes. either your parent or, you know, your child to the parent, the parent to the child, sisters, aunts, um, you know, uh, cousins can can hold each other accountable. So, I mean, really, you don't want to see your loved one going undergoing cancer treatment if you can avoid that. So I would say, uh, you know, holding family members, friends accountable go at the same time, you know, make the appointment together. Even if you're across the country, you could be uh, seeing the doctor on the same day. Uh, I think that's pretty motivating. Outstanding. Now, I'm going to ask you, uh, we're, we're, we're very close to the end here. Is there, uh, I'll start with you, Marisa. Was there one thing you knew you wanted to say? And if we hung up, you'd be like, oh, you know what I forgot to mention? Is there anything you want to, I don't want to leave anything on the table. What would you want to share with folks? Um, I think I'd want to say that you have more power than you think you know, than you think you do. And you're not a victim, you're a vixen. And yes. we all have the power. We have the power within us to kick anything and beat anything. We are way more powerful than we know. And everyone is a hero in their own story. Remarkable. Thank you. And Dr. Annunziata, would you like to share anything? Yes, I'd like to emphasize the ages to get screening. I mean, people think sometimes we shouldn't get screened till your 50s, but uh, it's actually in your 40s for most cancers to start screening. And even earlier, if there is any other, uh, you know, if there's a family history and, uh, uh, and, and certain other cancers should be screened earlier than, um, than 40 years old or than 45. So I would say don't wait until your 50s. Talk to your doctor uh, in your 40s or earlier if you have a strong family history or any symptoms, you know, that you're concerned about. Excellent. And I do think that one of the solutions to women's health is, is uh, to test for testicular cancer the same way we do mammograms. I want to thank you so much. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just saying, saying it's kind yeah, of I'm, that we get yeah, squeezed and they don't. I'm, Yep, because men are so empowered politically and financially. That's just where I'm coming from. Ladies, thank you both so much for joining us. Again, it's a can- it's cancerscreenweek.org for more information. Have a- I look forward to talking to you both again. Don't hesitate to reach out. I know we, we have connections uh, through your PR. So uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. And uh, thank you again for your saving thank, lives every so single day. Thanks thank so you. much for putting the word out. Thank you. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Have a great night. And uh, th- Mike Creed's up next. Thank you, Andy, back at the station. Uh, to see you all tomorrow.